Hello and welcome Wait, to... Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Crisis I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's rolling, Joe. This is it. This there is the go. Crisis I'm of Faith good. podcast with Joe and Drew. Uh, I am joined by Joe. He freaks out every time the episode actually starts. He loves to just chat with me on a Zoom call uh, without pressing record. And every time we press record, he tries to stop it. But today, we're rolling. And if you are listening, and this is your first ever episode with us, you picked the right one. How would you know which one to start with? How did you know to start here? Uh, but I, I'm, I'm glad you did, anyways. Um, we normally start things out with a little jingle, just to give you a, a little um, glimpse into the future of this episode. So let's roll that here, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about how Joe and I got to know each other. Preacher, I don't believe anything about which I used to be so sure. Every secret of the universe was settled and solved, and then I turned 24. Preacher, my religion has filled me with fear and anger and hate. Now I'm here, I'm smiling like I'm fine as I step on every landmine. Walking through my crisis of faith. Yeah. Man, what a jingle that was. <laughs> the jingle always gets written after the episode, just uh, to, to the listener. Uh, so we have to sort of say, great jingle, uh, before we've even heard the jingle. Puts the pressure on me to really do it right. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. Yep. Feel good. Can you believe that we are... Uh, I'm doing these push-ups. At, right now? Well, not not right this second, but I'm in doing this uh, challenge with my son. Okay. A hundred push-ups a day for a hundred days. Oh, wow. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. So, feels strong, man. How many... What, what day are you on? Twelve. Yeah? Yep. That's pretty significant. Um, yeah. You doing them in like, you do like 10 sets of 10 or something like that? I've been doing five sets of 20. Okay. Yeah. That's a workout. That's going to do it, Joe. Pretty soon you won't fit into the frame. I'm ripped, man. Of the Zoom call. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you, uh, do you like taunt your son about it? Oh, all the time. Tell him he's yeah. not really a man unless he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Seem, that seems right. Um, so I thought that since there's so many people who are starting here with us j today, Joe, this is the first episode of the Crisis of Faith podcast that they're ever hearing. Um, I thought maybe we should tell them a little bit about how we got to know each other, how this bromance began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many years ago. We met in, in Quincy Madison's piano class in middle Is that school. the story? That we're sticking with at this point? I think that's true. It was actually in the piano class. I think that's true. Okay. I have memories before... It was all the same day. I know it was seventh grade, and it was really early on, and we had a few classes together, but maybe the Quincy Madison's... Um, Quincy Alfonso Madison's uh, piano Quinn. class was probably the smallest class. Yeah. So maybe that was the one where we were like, well, there's only like 11 other people in here. I guess we'll talk to each other. 
Um, you had a bowl cut, as I recall. Did I have a bowl cut? <laughs> <laughs> In the seventh grade? That seems right. Uh, I don't remember it. I don't remember your haircut. Yeah, I don't either. I Actually, I do. I think it was it was the Caesar. I remember like most, oh yeah that 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 tracks. <laughs> most boys were getting the Caesar. Um, yeah. Which, if you're not familiar with the Caesar haircut, is it's like it's a boy's haircut. It's it's what it's what most boys have. Um, and I was kind of jealous of everybody that had it because the reason I had a bowl cut, the reason I have long hair to this day is mine just mine doesn't do right if it's not heavy enough if it's not long enough it doesn't do the caesar right it just if you cut it shorter it just shoots out in every direction (laughs) (laughs) and i was so jealous of everybody who had like normal haircuts and they didn't have to plaster it down some some product yeah i had to use a lot of it because i switched i switched from the bowl cut eventually now i'm basically back to it i guess (laughs) this is (laughs) My brother and I had a it's like a modern bowl fit cut on, fit on my mom about giving us both bowl cuts <laughs> at one point, and she, I don't remember what it was such a good like sitcom setup and punchline, um, but she had said something about us wanting like to cut our hair short with bangs, like we wanted to shave our head and leave the bangs or something. I don't know. I don't oh, recall yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That um, was a thing. Okay, and and. Then either we called she it the baseball or, haircut. I don't know why, but that's okay. that's what I know it as the baseball haircut. To me, it just seems very uh, Appalachian. Um, I just well, yeah, I, sure. I can't imagine a lot of people outside of Southern West Virginia were going <laughs> with the let's shave everything and leave bouncy bangs. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so the punchline that was either it was either my mom or me was like, well, so instead you gave us bangs all around. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought that was the perfect <laughs> explanation. What's a bowl cut? A bowl cut is bangs all around. <laughs> we do 360 degree bangs. <laughs> so anyways, in this piano class, I'm discovering slowly in middle school, uh, junior high actually, because we actually, we were still junior hires. Yeah. Um, Maybe the last generation, actually. I think around the time we went to high school, they they switched. Ninth graders we went with out. us. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I was discovering um, that this world is full of sin and sinful people, and most of them just are delighting in it. And yeah. I needed a Ooh. Christian brother in the Lord uh, who could keep me accountable and safe. And uh, also helped me pick up chicks. Um, yeah, and that's and what I really I, found. I really I'm good feel at. like I found that. <laughs> really feel like I found that in my piano class. <laughs> uh, and as if I recall correctly, all throughout junior high, we picked up exactly one chick between the two of us. <laughs> Jesse B. Um, yeah. And she was she would never allow herself to truly be picked up by either of us. Yeah, not interested at all. But she yeah. was certainly the object of all of our attention and affection. I don't remember actually ever feeling like attracted to her as much as I just really liked her. Um, I, I don't I don't ever th- remember thinking of, it was almost like a sister 
relationship. And she's I think beautiful. I probably she's had a, beautiful a little woman. crush on it's her not, at some point. It's not that. It was just like, it's kind of weird to think about any girl that you spent all of junior high with that you didn't think, like, obviously, this is going somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I think I probably had a little crush on her at some point, but it, I think it came later. It was like yeah. after we had kind of been friends for a while. Then I was like, oh. Yeah. Hmm. It's too late. <laughs> um, and then after junior high, we, we kind of stayed bros through high school. And the story that I thought maybe would be the most interesting to get into today was you got a driver's license before me. You know, you were like you're a few months older than me. And yeah. you inherited quite a ride. Um, the can referred to affectionately as the can. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Do you have any idea what model that was? It was a Mitsubishi. Okay. Something. I'm gonna see if I can find it. We Won't called it wa- the can because it was somewhere between a car and a van. Okay. So that's that's where the name came from. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna Google Mitsubishi. I worked car at the van time for. In, in high school, I worked for this ice factory, <laughs> and uh, my job at the ice factory was to make these big stickers that went on the, the ice box. Like, they sell, you know, sell bags of ice at the grocery store or whatever, and um, I would make the stickers to go on the boxes, and so I made a sticker that said the can and, and put it on my car. <laughs> Well, the thing that I was bringing up and that was a really, really vivid memory for me is you got your driver's license. You were the first friend I ever had um, to drive to my house like that. We wanted to hang out and one of us didn't have to get our mom to take us to the other (laughs) place. Like You came over to my house. And then when you left that evening, uh, you apparently drove the can into a guardrail or (laughs) <laughs> some kind of some kind of concrete block dented up the side of it and then drove the rest of the way home like i don't think it was not a <laughs> yeah well do you remember the details of that what was the i do remember um yeah i just i was you know i wrecked it into a median like no traffic around me <laughs> <laughs> just wasn't sure how to steer you. <laughs> and I did total it because oh, it was like it was so you a didn't sneeze drive away the rest, all the rest from of the way me. Home? No, I did drive it home, okay, but it I was thought, total. I thought you made it all the way home. Yeah, I did. I I didn't know that you're supposed to stop and wait either. <laughs> so <laughs> I just drove it home. Um, and they the <laughs> at the high school there was like a. Um, what was that called? ACT. There was yeah. a, a like vocational school right. connected to that, and and they <laughs> they fixed it. A bunch of like seventeen year olds hammered it back, <laughs> back into shape <laughs> <laughs> for free. So you drove it again after that. It was, uh, it was yeah. total, but they but the ACTC. Yeah. I wonder if we could get them to sponsor this episode. I bet um, we can. <laughs> They've probably got a massive marketing budget, I guess. <laughs> um, if that even still exists, it seems to me, like in my, in in hindsight, the ACTC, like Woodrow Wilson's ACTC connection, was not very um, subtle, I guess. 
Like they literally would come and recruit uh, kids who just didn't test very well. Like they, they literally <laughs> would just walk through and grab. It's like community. It's like, do you ever watch the show Community? <laughs> yeah. When they're like, they go and they find Troy, who's kind of a, a little dull, uh, played by Donald Glover, or um, what's it, Childish Gambino? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the show Community, they they like come from the the blue collar wing of the community college, and they're like, clearly you don't belong here. You belong with us. Um, that ex- actually existed at our, uh, and I remember the, some of the guys that they they never took girls. I don't I don't recall ever them recruiting well yeah they had like a dental assisting program yeah 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 that they all just none of it seemed very politically correct and (laughs) (laughs) it seems like a lot of it probably wouldn't fly today except maybe in southern west virginia maybe they could probably do whatever they want um still but uh but some of the guys that i know got recruited down there like they're they're doing better than me in life now Um, well that's the thing it was like it was kind of seen as as a I don't know. It, it was stigmatized in some way. Right. But like, well, like they were like the only ones learning system. how to do jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only until very recent. And I do think that this is truly something. It's not about getting woke. It's about realizing like, you know, blue collar labor, the right kind of blue collar job is actually like really, really good jobs. Um, so <laughs> there is a, right. um, that, that, that stigma, um, wasn't just, southern west virginia thing it was an everywhere thing but it's slowly becoming not so much one um so yeah that's uh that's what i remember i i can't find did you find a picture of the can this would be excellent no i've been looking at it i don't remember what it was i'll have to find that out um (laughs) these look too ridiculous actually (laughs) uh like like that thing oh no it wasn't quite that it's anything i'm finding looks Looks like uh, something ain't right about it. <laughs> these aren't yeah. these aren't re- real vehicles. Um, so that's where we uh, that's where we are. Do you remember Faith being like a real part of our friendship? I remember doing like <coughs> FCA stuff, and I would play acoustic guitar, and you would teach the Bible. Yeah, um, from time to time. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I think it was more like an underlying, like, you know, like you said, you're only allowed to really be good friends with your church people. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, everybody else so, is like, temporary anyways. Right, right. They're all going to burn in hell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like if you can find an oasis, that's a yeah. good thing. Yeah, we kind of spoke the same language a bit. Um I knew that, and, and there was a very real thing for me at the time um, of, like, just knowing that any of the parties that I might get invited to that I probably wasn't really allowed to go unless yeah. it was a party invite from you or some of your youth group friends. And like, I went to a really <laughs> right. small church, and nobody that I went to church with actually went to our school. Yeah. Um, and But you actually had, like, a bit of a network. Um that I kind of ended up being brought into the fold of a bit. And so I was in a circle of people where I was at least like, well, if these guys have a party, it's going to be a Christian party. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy in all the right ways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I think the thing that really happened for us um, after these years in uh, 
middle school and high school, and then going our separate ways, uh, you actually went to a Christian university, um, studied theology. I, I went off on my way and got what amounts to a humanities degree. <laughs> I was real sure they were going to be opening a humanities factory back in my hometown. Um, there <laughs> yeah. was talk of it. Instead, they opened an olive garden. Um, <laughs> and I ended up basically unemployable. Um, but I st- started working in churches and working as a pastor. And you continued. And you got that golden voice. Pursued. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I and so did quite a bit of singing. That's That's somewhat recent in life. I didn't really sing. I mean, outside of church stuff until uh, um, about the past four or five years that now I kind of make most of my living actually singing and playing music and singing at people's weddings and whatever comes along. But we we did our thing. You know, you did your theology education and I did my church world education. And here we've come back into like a regular conversational relationship with each other two or three years ago when I started a church in Richmond, Virginia, and I called you as just like kind of my source for all theology questions, and as we were starting this church, my wife and I were beginning, um, we were living through our own crisis of faith. Now, it felt really positive at the time. It felt really like, um like a big opportunity. It felt like, hey, finally, we can just become who we are. We don't have to answer to anybody anymore. We don't have to, um, we don't have to wonder what the pastor is going to think about this. We don't have to wonder what the employer is going to think about this. Um, we're, we're going to start our own church thing, and we don't have to answer to anybody. So we started trying to like dig into, well, what do we even believe about stuff? Like, what is the stuff that we would change? What is the stuff that we would have done for the past 10 years that we didn't do because our job depended on it? What are the, um, and, and that started, you know, some conversations between you and me. Uh, I, I needed somebody to call and ask, uh, well, what does the Bible actually say about this stuff? What does church history teach us about this stuff? Like, what's, a, what's an, okay, an okay place to land on LGBTQ questions, on... Um, alcohol and weed <laughs> questions on uh, unequally yoking myself and becoming friends with people who aren't Christian <laughs> kinds of que- <laughs> questions, politics, all of the different things. Uh, hell. Hell. Hell, you know, hell was the straw that broke the camel's back. It's really where this podcast started. Um, although you don't need to know about that. You started here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> What's your story on it all, Joe? Is that how you remember us getting to the point where we're at now? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was like... I was more or less a self-help line for for you. In essence, yes. <laughs> you called me in tears <laughs> almost every night. <laughs> I'd rock you to sleep. <laughs> That's essentially it. You, you said pretty early on, and I think this was um, pretty telling... Uh, of this podcast that when we decided to call it crisis of faith, um, because you wouldn't let me call it circumcised Gentiles, (laughs) um, (laughs) which I still think was a big mistake. Uh, if anybody's ever going to wear a t-shirt of our podcast, (laughs) circumcised Gentile with an arrow pointing up or down, I don't (laughs) on the front of a shirt. 
that's a seller right there. Um, <laughs> you said whenever we decided to call it crisis faith, you kind of always thought of the crisis as being my crisis. Like I was calling you with a crisis um, in my faith and you were, you know, kind of trying to help me talk through it. Um, the thing that I think I picked up from you the most, not to not to toot your horn too much here, you, you did the theology thing really well and the professor thing really well, but the thing that you did for me really in a really helpful way is that you kind of taught me a little bit of how to hold both ideas. Like I would call you to get an answer. I would call you to get, you know, professional help and just what does it say though, Joe? Like, what is the answer here? What, what do we actually do about um, this? And half the time the conversation would go in the direction of like, well, depends on uh, how I'm feeling on any given day. Uh, <laughs> depends on who you ask. And yeah. there's actually pretty smart people uh, who answer it both ways. And yeah. that, that is I the real source of most of my crises. <laughs> Is starting to discover that the people who know this stuff the best are all saying, yeah, we don't really know. That's not, you know, the more you look into it, the more <laughs> you discover stuff's all just different people's ideas. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too, that's like, you know, I, I've had my share of crises of faith um, a lot when I was like in my 20s and kind of just exploring things for the first time and a lot now <laughs> like yeah. right now I'm, I'm in the middle of a lot of crises and which we've talked about on the podcast um before this <laughs> I'm well, just kidding <laughs> um you know and I think the first several times you do it you're like I, I, I got to figure out what the answer is here. There's something like that. I've come across an anomaly yeah. and I've got to get the right thing. Um, and for me, part of like the skill of having, how do you have a crisis of faith? Uh, is, is that, you know, something comes at you and it feels like it's going to break you and you've, you've got to, some people just break and that's fine too. <laughs> like, yeah. That's okay. But you know, some people you stretch and you stretch and it, it hurts like, um, but, but eventually you kind of get to the notion that it's not really about figuring out what that right answer is as much as it's the process of stretching, right? Like what it does to your mind and what it does to your heart to like, allow yourself to hold on to questions and get pulled in a direction. Um, you know, eventually it becomes, it's terrifying at first, right? When you're dealing with some of these questions like hell or like what kind of God is this? Or, you know, the things that I believed in the Bible is, are they true or is the Bible, you know, is it God's word or something? And like, then you get hit with something and it's like, oh shit, I don't know. Like it's, it's terrifying. Um, but the more you practice this like stretching and flexibility, it almost becomes playful. Yeah. Right now when I, when, when we have crises of faith, it's like, 
oh, okay, cool. Where are we yeah. going from here? Yeah. Like, there's exciting things on the other side of this. Yeah, that's truly what's like what's kind of started happening just for me and you. Like, I I stumble across something, or somebody sends me a text message, or you know, I see something in the news that a couple of years ago would have really, really broken some things really you know the things would have come apart at the seams now i see it and i'm like oh that'll be great for us to talk about like i'd, I'd <laughs> yeah. like to just dive into it and just see like what yeah. are the what are the causes of this i think we um we make the mistake i'm not i don't want to say something that like is really um preachery um too early on but you know you'll discover in this podcast i'm kind of a preacher uh just one that's okay with saying <laughs> that uh that the whole system is really broken and <laughs> that uh, I don't really have any answers but um there is this thing that Jesus says at one point where he says a wise man builds his house on the rock um and I think we've made the mistake of thinking that he meant you build the house on the rock and build it out of rock uh <laughs> which <laughs> is just not uh good advice right <laughs> if there's any kind of uh any kind of uh, moving of the whole foundation and the house is built on rock, <laughs> out of rock, like you, it's just going to crack and destroy and fall apart. Like you have to have flexibility in your structures. A wise man builds his house out of Play-Doh on a rock. Like, <laughs> get, get kind of a firm foundation. And I think, you know, maybe maybe this episode would be a good way for us to kind of how to have a crisis of faith. Let's talk through like a couple of ideas that I think are a really good foundation, like a good place to start building your Play-Doh thing. Um, now, it, it's it's interesting to think that some of us have built them, built such rigid structures, like things that can't handle any kind of shaking whatsoever. Um, they either ignore that there are problems, they ignore that the shaking is happening, or um, the whole thing just shatters completely as soon as it gets shaken at all. Um, so there's that, there's the rigid type, and then there's also you know, an example that I've brought up a lot because I think mine was less rigid Mine was more of just a house of cards. My faith was built on some foundational tenets, some like foundational principles um, that ended up being not stone, not a good foundation. And after, you know, 10 years in the faith or so, probably somewhere in my mid-20s, um, foundational cards started getting pulled out. I started looking at them and saying, but if that isn't true then is any of it true? And, and what I really, like the entire house came tumbling down because of it. So what, what I would really like for us to kind of, you know, start to invite people into something that we could give them at least a little bit of like, not that we're going to help you through this. Uh, that's not it. Mostly we're going to try to make you laugh and make you think, uh, and, uh, and, and make you feel a little less alone <laughs> in it all. But I do think there are some things that would be, really really helpful um and the first one the most important thing uh one of the earliest iterations before we even thought like hey let's have a christian way um we pretty early on said that uh if, if you're going to be a part of this community and you're gonna like really navigate this stuff and you really want to know the best way possible to navigate this stuff well you're gonna have to uh commit to not being uh a dick 
like <laughs> you can't be mean in this. Yeah. You can't <clears throat> have this like rigid, angry I am right and everybody else is wrong uh and I'll do That's really I the heart to. of Jesus's teaching, right? Don't be yeah. a dick. I mean, yeah. That's pretty much the Yeah. I mean, even even the ways that people joke about in society, the way of Jesus, they're essentially saying like, well, that's not like Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus wouldn't like that. <laughs> what they're saying is stop being a dick. Like, that's, yeah. Um, but that causes crises, too. Like, it, right. If you if is. you start off by a commitment to I'm not going to be a dick. If you start off by saying I'm going to prioritize people. And like kindness over being getting my theology right yeah well then you have a problem you're gonna like, be then a you have a sheep. problem thinking about hell you have a problem thinking about yeah all this stuff like yeah you immediately put yourself out of the the current i think of the american evangelical camp if your commitment is not to being right but to you know, valuing people, treating people like they matter more than being right. You're gonna, you're gonna immediately come at odds with. And and I don't know, man. I, I feel like I've heard so many people basically left the faith because um, they left the Christian faith because of the ways that it failed to live up to the standard of Christ. Like it wasn't. Uh, it, we we talked about this in a. An episode not long ago, I think, um, about uh, Rhett and Link, you know, the the Good Mythical Morning guys, the yeah. YouTube influencer guys who aren't like, they're not theology guys at all. They just eat things that make them throw up on videos on <laughs> YouTube like that. That's yeah. their thing. But they also have a podcast and they were like, they're post, they're ex-evangelical Christians. And uh, it was this kind of viral portion of a podcast of theirs where Rhett basically said um, Christian kids aren't leaving the church uh, because they don't know what the Bible says. They're leaving the church because they went and looked at the Bible and they saw Jesus and then they couldn't find him in the church. <laughs> like they, they basically came back and said, well, you told us to be like Christ and so we wanted to care for the poor and we wanted to love the outcast and we wanted to care for the foreigner among us, and we wanted to put down our weapons and and uh, cease fire. We wanted to love our enemies, and then you, we came to you with that, and you basically said, "Well, no, not that, Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> Most right. are leaving because of this. Yeah, which is like, <clears throat> I think that's a thing that we try to do on this podcast is. Um, and one of the things that I think is like sort of essential to navigating a crisis of faith uh, is to sort of go back to those sources. Like, yeah. um, so even Jesus models this, right? Uh, Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath, and people come to him and they're like, "What are you doing? You're, you know, you're not supposed to do this. This isn't the way it goes." And he says, "Well." Don't you remember it? He like calls up to mind some uh, sort of just like buried story about David going into the temple sometime and getting getting the bread that you're not supposed to eat, yeah, um, unless you're a priest. And he's like, 
you know, David was hungry, and so he just, he, like, didn't care about the rules exactly, and he fed his hungry body, and it's like, so can't I heal people, on, yeah. even if it breaks the rules? And, like, I guess, um, you know, I don't want to say that, like, if you've been, if you've been traumatized by the church, if you've been traumatized by Christianity or, or, you know, whatever tradition you're coming from, and, like, you're just like, I can't touch this stuff. I, I just have to get out. Get out. Yeah. Like, prioritize your mental health. Don't, um, you know, don't, don't re-traumatize yourself. Uh, but if you're trying to stretch and, and flex a little bit, um, you don't have to just respond to the stuff that you you were taught or the stuff that you were ca- that you caught like growing up in your tradition. You can actually look at the text yourself. You can actually look at the tradition yourself. And we try to like that's that I think is the thing that we try to guide people in. Not I mean not like that sounds. No, I get what you're saying. Shit. But well, like yeah, we yeah, just. Yeah. It's it's what we're into. Well, it's it's, it's we what do we it. do publicly. Yeah. Um, we do it together and just hit record or <laughs> doing it. Right. Um, you know, try to turn back to these texts and and say like, how how do we rethink this from the ground up? Like, yeah, at the source. And that is the thing that's like. So I think we have we've made a habit of saying like, if you find yourself deconstructing your faith, if that's the phrase that you want to use, or if you find yourself in a crisis of faith. Um, the goal, I mean, the goal for me was not to tear it to the ground and then rebuild it better. It wasn't. It was just, all right, well, if it has to be torn to the ground, then it has to be torn to the ground. And I don't care if we rebuild it or not. And I would say that to anyone. I would say, hey, you don't have to rebuild a faith. You deconstruct it and you end up happy and and light and free and, you know, kind and all of the like you feel like you're fine without any kind of faith structure excellent that's really where i thought i was headed and honestly if you if you start early in this podcast you would discover um some of the early episodes of it i'm a little like concerned (laughs) that at some point people that i pastor are gonna uh, take out of context you know catch one part of my crisis and think like i don't think our pastor believes this stuff at all well let me just catch it right here and say i didn't <laughs> i mean i very much was ready to tear it to the ground and but as we kind of went back to the sources and be what i discovered was that there's actually really an opportunity to build something new that ultimately i was not rejecting necessarily the god of the scriptures i was not rejecting jesus i was not rejecting the way of of the followers of Christ and the apostles, I, I wasn't. I was rejecting an American evangelical version of all of that that mostly abandoned all of that. Um, and so what I've actually discovered is that when I was totally ready to just throw the whole thing out, I actually found that there were some things worth keeping and that there is kind of an opportunity. And I think it's happening in the church at large. I do think that there is, I think there is a future of the Christian faith. I just think it's going to look incredibly different um, 
I mean, we're, we're sitting here just on the other side of, or, you know, we're not out of the woods completely, but almost, um, you know, President Biden announced at some point last week that every American will have access to the vaccine by May 1st. So we're like a month away, um, not even at this point, um, from pretty much everybody having access to like COVID-19 being over. And I, we're, so we're almost on the other side of COVID-19, all things 2020 and half of 2021. And the church is now down to the last source I saw from Barna, um, about 15% of people who consider themselves to be Christians. This is not 15% of Americans, 15% of people. It's 15% of people who would call themselves followers of Jesus are attending church or have any plan to attend church. So 85% of people who call themselves Christians, not 85% of all people, 85% of people in the camp <laughs> are saying, uh, yeah, we're still about this Jesus thing. We still have that as our faith tradition. We still think that is, you know, if you ask me what our worldview is, what our paradigm is, it's still that. But the structures that exist to communicate it are not that interesting to us. They're not working. So I do think that there is some kind of movement ahead of, you know, what I'm experiencing personally, what I feel like anybody who listens to this podcast might be experiencing personally. And it's not to say everybody that listens is a Christian, but, you know, it, it would be a rare find, I think, for you to have no relationship with Christianity and to have stumbled upon this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it'd be a rare find for you to live in America and have no experience with Christianity. Um, but I guess what I'm kind of getting at is that as we go back to these sources, as we start to really, really rethink this stuff, we're discovering there might actually be a way forward in this. There might actually be a reconstruction of things, uh, you know, that our us having a crisis of faith in a good way, you know, in a, in a healthy way is not going to result in faithlessness. It might actually result in, no, it might, but it might also result in something, um, new being built. Yeah. 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 We had another note here. Uh, the second thing that you and I talked about possibly address in here Joe if you want to get into um well yeah I mean I think that um part of that whole movement uh, like out of you know part of it is people aren't interested because like part of it is that the church hasn't held our attention um because yeah. it's been petty and small and judgy and just kind of shitty like and so it's just you know we can choose we're not we don't live in a cable world anymore we live in a netflix world and like we can we're used to choosing what we want to watch and what we want to pay attention to and like the church just we realized that it it's a um you know, part of what the the COVID nineteen pandemic did was it like Netflixed our church, yeah. right? Yeah. We went from well, we go to we go to this church to like, oh well, church is just another experience online, so I can choose to check this one out. I can choose to check this one out. I can choose to I don't want to do this today. Yeah, 
Um, so like that's part of it, but part of it also is that the God that we're preaching sometimes is vile. Yeah. You know, the God that, uh, that tells us that people are bad because of who they love or how they express their identity. Uh, the God that, you know, wants to torture people for all of eternity. The God that, you know, whatever, um, the God that decides to, to murder his own son, uh, in order to, you know, feel better about yeah, make us. himself happier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that this is, this is the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, and you shouldn't believe it. <laughs> like if your theology is making you anxious or depressed or afraid, like it's necessary for your mental health to, to stop believing that, that yeah. shit. Yeah. And maybe that means walking away. Um, maybe that means looking at those structures and deciding what can shift and flex and move and be rebuilt. You know, I, I don't, we don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is important. It's it's not just important. It's necessary for us to not hold on to views that make us hate God or hate other people or like or hate right. ourselves. Right. Well, it came up, you know, when we were talking about hell in particular, which was, you know, so much of a so much of my crisis was tied up in this um, that I, you know, I shared that a lot of people, a lot of other pastors and, and Christians, that their main argument for me, whenever I was saying, like, I just don't know about that. I just don't know that that's, I'm not sure that that's what the Bible says. Uh, and if it is, then I'm not sure I like the Bible. Um, and one of their main arguments, one of mo- the things that people would say the most is, well, you just want to believe that. And my response was very often, uh yeah. <laughs> what yeah. Why do you want to believe that hell is real? Why do you want to believe and and so many Christians, you know, to give them credit, they just think like, well, it doesn't matter what I think about this. It just is. They were handed things as if they were carved into stone. It was they were they were handed things that they were just told, Well, it is true. It doesn't matter what I want to be true or not. Um, you know, I think we we've just been able to kind of pull back the curtain and basically say no actually just usually the most uh usually the scariest version of things wins out <laughs> that's the story that works that that's the if it bleeds it leads that that's the narrative that gets told so what you begin to discover is like well this isn't necessarily what the bible teaches at least not exclusively this isn't what uh church history believed certainly not exclusively not even by and large what we believe about hell it's just the most um it's just the strongest imagery 
Yeah. It's just and it's and it's the strongest motivator. You really want people to give money? Tell them that they'll burn for all of eternity if they don't. You really want <laughs> right. you really right. want people to, you know, vote Republican? Tell them that they'll burn for all of eternity if they don't. Like it's a really powerful thing. But anyway, I I wanted to I don't want to get too far off of the the point I was actually making was it's totally okay to say I don't want to believe that. It's probably healthy to say I don't want to believe that um, and let that lead some things like God, your, your construct of God, and you're just constructing God anyways. You don't know what God is actually like, but your construct of God doesn't have to be worse than you would ever be. That violates even just We're frozen. Well, we lost our Zoom connection for just a second there. So if uh, if what I just said doesn't make any sense with what I'm about to say, just please forgive it, and we'll try to get back on the <laughs> try to get this train <laughs> back on the tracks at some point. Um, but I was I, I, I'm trying to navigate this whole. We have a God often in American evangelicalism who is worse than any of us would ever be. Like we we basically have. Hey, I know I don't like the idea of hell. I wouldn't do that. Like I wouldn't burn my enemies for all of eternity, um, for possibly like just misunderstanding, or I wouldn't burn people who wouldn't even you know consider themselves enemies of me. They just never heard my name before. Um, I wouldn't burn them for all of eternity. Um, but God does, so you know whatever. Like we don't have to do that. And in fact, if you go back to the sources, one of the things you might actually discover is Jesus says, "Don't do that." Like Jesus actually says um, to think of God as a better father than even you are. Like who, what, what was the, you, you put down a note here. Um, yeah, like the, that bit about if your kid asks yeah, you for it. fish, uh, you're going to give them fish. You're not going to give them scorpions. Right. Like if the if kid asks you for an omelet in the morning, you're not going to like give them a plate full of snakes. So... If you're going to be like that, wouldn't you think God would be even better than that? Or at yeah. least as good as that? <laughs> right. And this is not Joe and Drew trying to overtake the Christian faith and say, don't you think God should be better than that? Like, we're saying that's what Jesus said to do. That's how yeah. Jesus said to do theology. Yeah. He says, if you've got a God who's a nightmare, fix your God. Because, <laughs> like, if, if you've got a God who is a meaner person than you are, is not even as good as a father as you are, then you got to work on that. You, you, can't, you can't be a better and more loving person than your God. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's totally okay to stop believing religious nightmares. It's totally okay to just abandon... It's totally okay to start with the argument, I don't like it. And that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. Why'd you, you stop can, believing in you hell? You can trust I don't your like gut. That idea. Yeah. Like, you can, you know, you you can know in yourself when it's time to investigate something. When, like, oh, that thing about hell, that thing about, um, you know, Jesus having to a, be murdered to atone for my sins, that stuff that I'm supposed to believe about my neighbors who are gay or trans, like, I don't feel right about that. That there's something feels uncomfortable about that. Follow like it's okay to follow that feeling. And if that feeling is saying, 
I need to investigate this, fine. If that feeling is saying, I need to get the fuck out of here, fine. But, like, you're allowed to be a, an adult. <laughs> you're yeah. allowed yeah. to think and to to ask questions. You're allowed to feel. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting that because I do think that you know, even some of what we were talking about earlier, like I was calling on when I started calling you with these questions, I was doing my best to call on what I consider to be a higher authority. Like maybe somebody who has a closer connection to these things than I, you were, you know, you were part of this Christian university that, you know, Christian universities, I assume that's where, uh, the, the denomination heads get their information. It's where pastors should be getting their information. So I was calling on, you know, I like, can I get, some clarity about what I'm supposed to believe here, what I'm supposed to like, what's, what's the Christian way. And, uh, and it proves that I had just been stripped of my ability to be an adult about it myself. It proves that the church has sort of preyed upon, um, our insecurities and our ignorance about things. We've basically said really what you need is a preacher or a pastor who can tell you what you're supposed to think about things. What you really need is a higher source than you, someone with a, a closer connection to God than you have, um, who can, uh, you know, kind of boil it down for you, tell you what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to believe. And I just, I just think it's totally okay to trust your gut. Um, you know, I, there's two sides to this, Joe, and we're not exactly talking about it a lot. Um, there is a way that I think is objectively Christian. I do think that you, if you're going to arrive at considering yourself to be a Christian, that should have a set of things that it absolutely means for everyone. It doesn't right now. Like, there are lots of people who call themselves Christians, and in their Christianity... They do and say lots of stuff that is nothing like Christ. Like the, the title Christian in America at the moment is attributed to a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with Christ. So we're talking about two different things here. I'm saying, I, I want to say you don't have to be in the Christian camp. You don't have to arrive at this. If you need to leave, you can leave. But I also do feel a need to say if you're going to stay, though, then you need to stay with Christ at the center of like the teachings of Christ actually at the center of does that make sense what I'm kind of getting at like like yeah. the two sides of the coin here that you can believe whatever you want you can say whatever you want you can't believe whatever you want say whatever you want and call it Christian <laughs> yeah, yeah does that make sense like you can't continue to say like I am a Christian and that is why I stockpile weapons for the apocalypse like wait a second <laughs> You can stockpile weapons for the apocalypse if you want to. That's totally fine with me. You can stockpile weapons because QAnon told you that you need to. Um, but you can't call that the Christian way. What does that have to do with Christ? That yeah. is the thing that I don't think is is okay. <laughs> um, anyways, I just wanted to admit that. I don't know if that's useful, but it is a point that I do think needs to be made that there are kind of there's two sides to this. You can leave if you want to, but if you decide to stay, I don't know. I think you need to stay in a way that is, <laughs> that at least tries 
to get back to the source that at least tries to say, mm, well, if Christ is compassionate, then so should I be. If Christ loves enemies, then so should I. If Christ doesn't raise a sword against those who attack him, then maybe neither should I. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, can I, I just want to, this is maybe going back a little bit, but I'm thinking about that, like, trust your gut kind of yeah. thing that we've been talking about. And, you know, there is a sense in which the Christian church is built on a crisis of faith, just like we're talking about, right? Where, um, you know, this is a, a people, a largely Jewish movement. I mean, not largely, an entirely Jewish movement initially, um, that, that said our people with our book and our, um, our temple, our, like we, we're God's chosen people to tell the good news to the world. Um, and then you have people early on in Christianity, um, who are not those people like who Gentile, not non-Jewish people who are coming to believe in this Jewish Messiah and, and then, you know, people are, are saying, like, Paul, this is what really all of the New Testament writings are about, is people like Paul are going, this doesn't set right with my experience to say that it's just us. Yeah. That, in fact, my experience tells me that there are, there are people who are part of this, that this, this thing is way bigger than what the text is telling me it's way bigger than what my tradition has been telling me it's way like my experience tells me to question everything yeah and so then i go back and i read the sources and i I reread them now in a new way Um, but i never would have read them that way if i didn't first look around at the people that are around me and say like there's something wrong here yeah do you think there's something to be like I this may be off track and it might just need to be cut out but do you think there's something to be said for I always thought as a Christian growing up that we were supposed to focus on the New Testament um, we were supposed to put all of our energy into that um, and, and if you did that then you would discuss, then you would come at a Christian worldview you would you would really end up in the right camp on everything. But the early Christian church, for the first, you know, three or four hundred years, they didn't have a New Testament. They only had an Old Testament. And what you have in the Old Testament are... I want to be careful how I say this. I don't think it's going to be offensive. I just don't want to... I don't, I don't want to be, like, super wrong. Um... What you have is a lot more space for interpretation. If you take the writings of Paul out of the equation, <laughs> you take some of the things that the New Testament like just makes, then you end up with um, prophets uh, speaking really, really big um, things about 
the powers that be and religious systems that are corrupt and that do not care for the poor and that if you only have the Old Testament are you a little more likely to arrive at a creative <laughs> approach to your faith? Are you are you a little more likely to arrive at the ways that they at going back and saying, well, maybe we misunderstood this, because when you get Paul's writings, um, and it's it's not just Paul, but Paul's the lion's share of of the faith that I inherited. Um, you have these things that end up being. Are being turned into like super clear-cut tenets of faith. You have yeah. to do this. Women can't speak in the church. Um, you uh, homosexual people, whatever that means. And I know, like, I'm saying homosexual because that is the actual like <laughs> the 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 word. Whatever it means, whatever it points to, it doesn't really speak to LGBTQ. Um, plus folks it's not really about that but whenever he says that we turn it into some sort of tenant that we have to is there something to be said for like maybe we would be better off without a new testament at least you know <laughs> holding it a little more yeah. loosely uh maybe if and and they did have like teachings of jesus yeah. they did have like they were passing around at least orally what jesus said to rethink this stuff well it's it's letters re- rather than stories right that's yeah that's the thing about a lot of the New Testament, which is yes. just like it's a different kind of writing and is a little bit more rigid, especially if you're, you know, but I, I think the big thing there is, you know, this notion that for for 400 years, even of the Christian story, there was no New Testament, yeah. right? There was no no thing that people were holding in their hands calling the New Testament which means that, like, these aren't the only books written, right? They're not the only letter. Like, hundreds of thousands of letters were written at this time. So at some point, somebody, some several, several people, several guys, let's be honest, <laughs> several men got together. Powerful men, not powerful men, not got together men, and not, said not men at the bottoms of society. Let's read these books. Yeah. Like, these are the books now. Um, and I think, like, just to name, like, that's just, we're, that, I'm not making a, a claim there. That's just a historical fact. At some point, some men got together and said, well, we, we got to make a list of what books to read. And this is well after the New Testament is written. Um, hundreds of years later. And, and so it's those books and not these. Yeah, because somebody just because somebody constructed something, right? Um, and just to name that doesn't that doesn't that already free up either? Well, it depends on where where you are in the practice of flexibility. It either you you either hear that and go, oh, that's freeing, or you hear that and go, oh fuck, there's yeah. a problem. <laughs> like I'm scared yeah. now because I know where this this conversation might lead me. Yeah. Um, isn't that funny though to think like that's what happens whenever you discover that your faith is actually a house of cards yeah that when you say something like that that you immediately are like oh no that was a foundational card in my house of cards like i can't go tugging on that yeah i can't go pulling on that 
the Bible was written by God's own hand as a letter to me, as the blueprint for my life, that's foundational. If you go pull it on that card, tell me that's not what this is, and that in fact the Christian faith got started and survived for hundreds of years without anything like that, really for thousands of years, because let's be honest, even 400 years in, whenever we do start to kind of, you know, compact and canonize and collect, it's not like most people even have access to that. Yeah, right. It's not like they can read it. <laughs> it's not like they're, right. they're arriving at like, oh, here's your Bible now. Um, that doesn't happen for thousands of years. So yeah. the church basically exists without a Bible like what we think of whenever we say Bible. And I know every time I say that, um, I hear some Calvinist bro or something. They're like, well, they did have their writings. They did have, like, okay, I'm just saying um, there is a, the, the, what, we, what we mean when we say Bible, we did not have for thousands of years. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's um, not even to, to say anything of, like, who wrote the Bible and, like, who edited it, edited it. Get it right, Joe. <laughs> compiled it, <laughs> transmitted it, uh, translated it, like, all of that. Um, even if you, even if that fell out of heaven, whole cloth, right? Yeah. Well, you still had somebody decide to put it together, like just some schmucks decided to put it together. Yeah. And you, what you call the Bible, you call the Bible because they told you that's that, the Bible. That this is the Bible. And the thing was, they were they were constructing this thing to deal with their own problems, right? right? They were having a crisis of like well we what do we do? We need an authority structure. And so they they constructed something. Yeah. Um and just to know just to like to name that as as built and to know like to know the history of it, to to look at, to like to to look at these structures that we've built and say, oh, we could rethink this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, every. I think this was a note that you actually put into a document we share, but like just the phrase is great. Every religious doctrine is a construction. <laughs> it's all just something someone put together for a specific purpose. At some point in history, sometimes it was put together to help them navigate their own crisis of faith. Sometimes it was put together, you know, to give them more peace and help them sleep easier at night. Sometimes it was put together to control and manipulate. Um, and, and that's a really, really important thing to discover. And it's also the kind of thing that once you really discover that, it could cause a crisis of faith in itself just to realize everything that was ever presented as a fact was actually kind of an opinion theology is written into the actual terminology of theology is theories about this stuff we don't know we don't know what god looks like we don't know what happens after you die we don't know we're just trying to theorize about it we just want to have a conversation about it and that's really all that the thing that we call the bible is it's from start to finish it is conversational it is a bunch of like it is itself 
a collection of crises of faith and yeah, people discovering sure. that what they believed doesn't work anymore. So yeah. now we have to write something new. Now we have to think something new. Uh, so we're very much participating. We're not leaving our faith here necessarily. We might actually be participating in it at a deeper level and in a more sincere and honest and useful level than we ever have before. Yeah. We might actually we're, be tapping in. Yeah, go ahead. We're practicing. We're, this To have a crisis of faith is to, to practice your faith. Like that's yeah. what faith is Yeah, in some ways. If right? your faith has never been in crisis, I don't know if it's faith. <laughs> if your faith uh, has not um, experienced a major, major shift in the past, I don't know, six minutes, uh, <laughs> then, then I'm not sure you're thinking about it very much. I'm not sure you're giving it much attention and that is the discovery that i've had with a lot of, and I don't, I don't mean any offense by that but what you discover most often with people um that people who don't have too many crises people who don't see a need to deconstruct and reconstruct their faith are people who just don't think about it too much um that is one way <laughs> <laughs> to avoid you know what? And I think that's fine too. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, we've, we've said several times, like, if you have to get out, if you're just traumatized and hurt and you have to leave, like, it's fine. You're not hurting anybody's feelings. You're not, you're, you're not damaging yourself. You're, you're okay. You're yeah. fine. Yep. You can leave. Um, and if you're sitting here and you're listening to this because you're like, well, Joe or Drew or my friend or, you know, some other friend told me to listen to or whatever. And like, I don't have any of these, this, these questions are crazy. I don't, this doesn't bother me. Um, I was just going to get milk today. <laughs> I just believe the Bible and buy my milk. Um, that's fine too, man. Don't look, if you can get away with not asking these questions, like good for you. That's as long as you're not a dick, yeah. like that, that principle still stands. If, <laughs> If your if your religion is causing you to be a dick, then you need to stop it. You need to start yeah. tearing something down. You need to start asking some questions. But if you're like if you're loving people and and doing your thing, and you can get away with not and having singing "Lord, crisis, I lift your name on high," man, that's awesome. Good good for you. Um, you're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> Because a lot of us can't, we yeah. just, like it's, that's not an option for me. It's not a. Uh, I didn't go looking for right. for crises. They found me. Yeah. Well, I think. I, I think that's a, probably a pretty good place to land this, and and it'll lead pretty well into the conversations that we're going to have in the next few episodes. But just to say, um, everything. Every crisis, crisis I've ever experienced, every crisis we've ever addressed on this show or in our lives has been the result of of a pursuit of truth. <laughs> like it was really almost always a matter of going back to the source, and it was it was almost always. I don't know. I just I didn't. I was in it, man. I like I was really in it. I was a 
pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor and then a real pastor, and I wanted to play Christian music and like that. I was I was all in. So I started trying to find out, you know, everything that the Bible had to say, everything I could learn from church history, everything. Every crisis I've ever experienced was the result of looking a little closer. It was never my intent to go in and pull out foundational cards and collapse the house. It was never my intent to tear anything to the ground. It was never my intent to even have a crisis of faith. But if you have faith, you will have a crisis. <laughs> Otherwise, whatever it is that you have isn't, it's not faith. It's, it's something else. Faith has to have doubt tied into it. Faith has to have crisis from time to time um, or, or nothing is truly being challenged. Yeah. And I, I think we can, I know we're trying to wrap up cause we've been going for a long time, but um, you know, if we're telling people to start here, like this is the first episode that you want to listen to. I, I would just say what we're interested in doing here, what we, what we do is, like we don't have any good advice for you really about <laughs> how to how to deal with a crisis of faith. Um, we do a lot of Bible talk and like go back to the sources. We do a lot of um, questioning and stuff, but uh, all all we're doing here is we're having our crises out loud, like <laughs> on air, and you can listen in. And maybe maybe there's some questions that you're dealing with too, and maybe. You know, maybe you have other questions that you want to ask us about so yeah. that we can we can have your crisis of faith on the air, too. Yeah. Yeah. This is something we're always uh, happy to do and happy to participate with you in. Um, so here's what uh, next steps for you could be. We would love it if you would go to crisis of faith dot com. Um, if you go to crisisfaithpodcast.com, you'll actually see on the homepage a little link, a place where you can submit your own crisis of faith. You could actually record an audio message telling us, like, here's the thing that has messed with me the most. Here's the, here's the foundational card that I'm, I'm ready to start tugging on now uh, in, in my house of cards. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm seeing that this has to be, this is work that has to be done. Um, we would love it if you would do that. We'd also love it if you would participate with us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook as Crisis of Faith. Um, if you're uh, participating with us there, that's also a great way for you to communicate with us. But that's just the thing, I think, that uh, we have found liberating and useful and, and, and wonderful as we've started this podcast is that we're discovering that also, we're not alone, right? We, we came in here kind of saying, like, maybe we should tell some people they're not alone. And I have found the <laughs> most peace and, uh, and, uh, and joy in discovering, oh, I'm not alone. There are actually, like, a lot of Christians who were afraid to say this stuff out loud who are now saying to me, oh, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I just didn't know I was allowed to wonder that. I didn't know I was allowed to ask that. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks for starting here. Uh, we're excited uh, to get into the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're addressing a listener question, I think. Yeah. Uh, about um, about the like, which one was that next week? <laughs> uh, I think we're we're talking about like how do you what's your relationship to the church when you're oh yeah 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 going through crises of faith like 
do you get out? Do you stay? Do you, yeah. what do you do? Will you lose all of your friends? Will you lose? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, we're going to do an episode where we're talking about uh, deconstruction with your mom. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> crisis and navigating a crisis of faith with your mom, uh, which is going to be kind of somewhat related. Uh, for us, our mothers handed us our faith. Uh, and so w- we wanted to do a special episode to sort of, you know, say we think our moms love us. We know our moms love us. We know everything they ever did was to express that love to us. Now, how do we go back to them and say, we don't believe some of the stuff you told us, um, but that doesn't mean that we don't love you and that we don't believe you loved us. And uh, so I think that'll be a, a good conversation and hopefully get us into some things that could also prove useful uh, to you in your own crisis now. don't believe anything about which I used to be so sure every secret of the universe was settled and solved and then I turned 24 preacher my religion has filled me with fear and anger and hate now I'm here I'm smiling like I'm fine as I step on every landmine Walking through my crisis of faith